0: When the COVID-19 pandemic first became a big thing here in the United States, we knew hospital workers would be among the most essential of frontline workers. It's a tough job in good times, and the pandemic made it a lot tougher. Within a few months, nurses reported high rates of anxiety, frustration, emotional and physical exhaustion, and burnout. Now we're a year and a half into COVID-19. We've got vaccines, but the Delta variant still poses a big threat. So how are nurses holding up? I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Thursday, October 6, 2021. Today, I'm turning the mic over to my colleague, utility journalism reporter Karen Garcia. She recently spoke to nurses in Los Angeles County about the challenges they've faced since March 2020 and how they're coping, personally and professionally. Here's Karen.
1: At the end of her shifts as a nurse in the emergency room at Glendale Memorial Hospital and Health Center, Nancy Sumner leaves her scrubs at work, which is the first step in shedding the pressures of her day. During her commute, she'll often recount the day to herself, thinking about what she could have done differently. By the time she's home, she needs to make herself let it all go until tomorrow. Then it's back to the grind of wearing masks and other protections for more than 12 hours and caring for critically ill patients who, along with other families, have not been vaccinated against COVID and refuse to believe the coronavirus is what's making them so sick. Recently, she witnessed a young patient dying of COVID whose family didn't even accept the diagnosis. They
2: become angry, then they start yelling at you. So it can really throw you off your game. And that's what has been one of the challenges for the staff here is that these pre-COVID nurses, heroes, frontliners, you were all maybe respected a little bit more. Now a lot of people don't feel as respected.
1: A year and a half into the pandemic, nurses and their bosses across Los Angeles County and beyond are getting burned out. Joyce Lido, who is the chief nurse executive at Kaiser Permanente Los Angeles Medical Center, told me she's not tired just because of her increased workloads, but also the uncertainty that surrounds the pandemic. The not knowing
3: when this is going to go away, of how long is this going to last? I mean, is it? Are we going to have another um, wave like we did in the last season? Is it going to be better? I think that's, that's the challenge for any essential worker, any healthcare provider is the not knowing and continuously working on making sure that you are mentally <laughs> prepared and remain resilient. Like, it's almost like you're waiting with bated breath of, okay, is it going to slow down next week? Are we going to pick back up? Okay. And then you just have to constantly be on per se
1: or prepared. Last winter, during the height of the coronavirus surge, Joyce Leto started her day around 5 a.m. Her goal? Supporting her team of nurses, administrators, and directors who she said were working above and beyond their typical eight-hour shifts to care for the flood of patients who were coming into the hospital. In addition to her administrative duties, she also worked directly with COVID patients. Sometimes when her nurses needed to take breaks, she used her RN background and stepped in so they could go. But Joyce's work didn't stop at the hospital. Her husband, a registered nurse in an ICU at another Kaiser hospital, was having his own difficult experiences. She became his support system as well. When
3: I was done with my work here, you know, I went home and I was, I was a wife. And um, to hear the stories, that he came home with of I had to tell a wife that her husband of 55 years, this is the last time that you know they're gonna see each other or talk to each other. And it was pivotal for me as a leader because if this was my husband, a nurse, and he was coming home with this emotional and mental anguish and pain, I knew that every single one of our nurses that was working in this hospital was dealing with the same thing. And it was a magnifying glass to, you know, like I just don't get to hear all of the stories from our 1300 nurses here, but I know they're feeling the same thing. They're going home with that pain in the same way.
1: It made Joyce realize that as a leader, she had to show up fully and really be present for the people that needed her support, her team of nurses. With that philosophy, Joyce and the other leads in the team would step in if there was a gap in scheduling or spend their weekends with the nurses and provide them with breakfast burritos.
3: They knew it wasn't like we're just clocking out. It's like we're with them, you know, the whole way through.
1: We'll have more after this break. Anais Correa, who is the head of nursing at South LA's Martin Luther King Jr. Community Hospital, also faced new challenges. It was absolutely just stressful um, because a lot of people are looking to you
2: for answers. And with, especially during the first wave, there was a lot of changes. So in one week we were doing certain PPE, by the next week we were doing other PPE, testing, non-testing, all of this stuff. And so just that communication piece um, was very crucial. But I think the other thing that was really important was transparency with our teams and saying that, you know what, I don't have that answer right now. Um, We're working on getting that answer for you.
1: Anais and her team of nurses would develop bonds with their patients, then see them get worse and have to be intubated. Be strong for them during those last phone calls with relatives. After such experiences, she and other nurses would take a short pause to talk about what they witnessed. A lot of
2: people kept saying, we didn't sign up for this. This is not like people are putting us in this these situations and this is not what we signed up for. And I I think a lot of that came from the fear and in my leadership style. And I think in our organization, it was very important for us to say, we hear you. We understand that. And we're absolutely here for you if you need to talk about this. You know, I I didn't want people to just shut it down and keep working. You know, we have to acknowledge these things so that we can stay in tune with what we're feeling and provide the best care possible for our patients, because that's the priority at this time. But in order to be fully present for our
1: patients, we have to be fully present with ourselves. Annie said, burnout can be common when you work in intensive care, but the pandemic exacerbated that feeling because of its many ongoing challenges. Waves of patients, packed ICUs, young people dying, and now patients who had chosen not to get vaccinated. Now she's taking the time to really find ways to de-stress. Something that I'm working
2: on now to try to fill my cup since we see that this is might be, who knows, another year or so, um, I've definitely looked at some, like, um, meditation, some self-care, try to like do something a little bit more for myself, um, find some different tools. um, And I'm trying to share those with my team as well. And then I myself have started therapy. I'm, I'm only a few sessions in, but several of my staff have said that that's helped them.
1: But Anayi says it's easier to deal with feelings of burnout by constantly referencing the lack of staffing, the pandemic in general, or just about any other reason, instead of trying to work toward a solution.
2: But burnout also, from what I've been learning, is something that we can control ourselves by developing some of those coping skills and doing some of these exercises for our minds and viewing the world through different vantage points so something that I'm working on now is like gratitude like I could be one of the family members with somebody sick or I could be sick myself but I have the privilege of caring for these individuals rather than being on that side and so I think it is something that that we have some control over
1: Anais helped her team by assisting in the establishment of a post-ICU clinic on the community hospital campus. In part, Anais says the clinic was created because nurses were worried about whether discharged patients would get the specialty care they needed to completely recover from severe cases of COVID-19. In figuring out how to heal from the challenges of the pandemic, Anais says the nurses took solace in knowing the patients they were able to treat would continue to be taken care of. But if you ask Nancy, Joyce, and Anais what you could do to help nurses on the front lines, they will unanimously say that a simple thank you goes a long way for healthcare workers. They'll also tell you how important it is for folks to practice good personal hygiene, to wear masks, and follow local safety guidelines in their everyday lives. And of course... The
3: best way that you can help and provide support to all of our frontline healthcare workers, all of our essential workers, is to get vaccinated. That's the only way that we're gonna come out of this is if we work together as a, a community and really as the world at large, right? Um, that That's the only way to help in the long, you know, the sort of grand scheme of thing. healthcare workers, is if we don't have patients at all, that are battling this super um, you know, deadly virus is to get informed, to get educated, get the vaccine, it works, and to continue to spread the message and to continue to be educated about um, how they can um, not just keep themselves safe, but keep their community safe.
0: And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Tomorrow, a visit to Milwaukee, which is experiencing historic levels of violence right now. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Marina Pena, Melissa Kaplan, and Ashley Brown. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. And our theme music is by Andrew Eapin. I'm Gustavo Ariano. We'll be back tomorrow with all the news and desmadre. Gracias.